0: Book Twelve The Cattle of the Sun Now when our ship had left the ocean river rolling in her wake, and launched out into open sea with its long swells to reach the island of ayia east where the dawn forever young has home and dancing rings and the sun his risings, heading in we beached our craft on the sands, the crews swung out on the low sloping shore, and there we fell asleep awaiting Dawn's first light. As soon as Dawn with her rose-red fingers shone again, I dispatched some men to Circe's halls to bring the dead Elpinor's body. We cut logs in haste, and out on the island's sharpest jutting headland held his funeral rites in sorrow, streaming tears. Once we'd burned the dead man and the dead man's armor, heaping his grave mound, hauling a stone that coped it well we planted his balanced oar aloft to crown his tomb. And so we saw to his rights, each step in turn. Nor did our coming back from death escape Circe. She hurried toward us, decked in rich regalia, handmaids following close with trays of bread and meats galore and glinting ruddy wine. And the lustrous goddess, standing in our midst, hailed us warmly, Oh, my darling reckless friends! You who ventured down to the house of death alive, doomed to die twice over, others die just once. Come, take some food and drink some wine, rest here the live-long day, and then tomorrow at daybreak you must sail, but I will set you a course and chart each sea-mark, so neither on sea nor land will some new trap ensnare you in trouble, make you suffer more. Her foresight won our fighting spirits over. So all that day, till the sun went down, we sat, and feasted on sides of meat and heady wine. And then, when the sun had set and night came on, the men lay down to sleep by the ship's stern cables. But Circe, taking me by the hand, drew me away from all my shipmates there, and sat me down, and lying beside me, probed me for details. I told her the whole story, start to finish. Then the queenly goddess laid my course. Your descent to the dead is over, true. But listen closely to what I tell you now, and God himself will bring it back to mind. First, you will raise the island of the sirens, those creatures who spellbind any man alive whoever comes their way. Whoever draws too close off guard and catches the sirens' voices in the air, no sailing home for him, no wife rising to meet him, no happy children beaming up at their father's face the high, thrilling song of the sirens will transfix him. Lolling there in their meadow, round them heaps of corpses, rotting away, rags of skin shriveling on their bones. Race straight past that coast. Soften some beeswax and stop your shipmates' ears so none can hear, none of the crew. But if you are bent on hearing, have them tie you, hand and foot in the swift ship, erect at the mast block, lashed by ropes to the mast, so you can hear the siren's song to your heart's content. But if you plead, commanding your men to set you free, then they must lash you faster, rope on rope. But once your crew has rowed you past the sirens, a choice of routes is yours. I cannot advise you which to take or lead you through it all. You must decide for yourself, but I can tell you the ways of either course. On one side beetling cliffs shoot up, and against them pound the huge roaring breakers of blue-eyed amphitrite the clashing rocks, they're called by all the blissful gods. Not even birds can escape them. No, not even the doves that veer and fly Ambrosia home to Father Zeus. Even of those, the sheer rocks always pick off one, and Father wings one more to keep the number up. No ship of men has ever approached and slipped past, always some disaster— big timbers and sailors' corpses whirled away by the waves and lethal blasts of fire. One ship alone, one deep-sea craft, sailed clear, the Argo, sung by the world when heading home from Aeeti's shores, and she would have crashed against those giant rocks and sunk at once if Hera, for love of Jason, had not sped her through. On the other side loomed two enormous cracks, One thrusts into the vaulting sky its jagged peak, hooded round with a dark cloud that never leaves. No clear, bright air can ever bathe its crown, not even in summer's heat or harvest time. No man on earth could scale it, mount its crest, not even with twenty hands and twenty feet for climbing, the rock so smooth like breast and burnished stone. And halfway up that cliffside stands a fog-bound cavern, gaping west toward Erebus, realm of death and darkness. Past it, great Odysseus, you should steer your ship. No rugged young archer could hit that yawning cave with a winged arrow shot from off the decks. Scylla lurks inside it. A yelping horror, yelping no louder than any suckling pup, but she's a grisly monster, I assure you. No one could look on her with any joy, not even a god who meets her face to face. She has twelve legs, all writhing, dangling down and six long swaying necks, a hideous head on each, each head barbed with a triple row of fangs, thick set, packed tight, armed to the hilt with black death. Hold up in the cavern's bowels from her waist down, she shoots out her heads, out of that terrifying pit, angling right from her nest, wildly sweeping the reefs for dolphins, dogfish, or any bigger quarry she can drag from the thousands amphitrite spawns in groaning seas. No mariners yet can boast they've raced their ship past Scylla's lair without some mortal blow. With each of her six heads, she snatches up a man from the dark-proud craft and whisks him off. The other crag is lower, you will see, Odysseus, though both lie side by side, an arrow shot apart. Atop it a great fig tree rises, shaggy with leaves. Beneath it awesome Charybdis gulps the dark water down. Three times a day she vomits it up, three times she gulps it down. That terror. Don't be there when the whirlpool swallows down. Not even the earthquake god could save you from disaster. No, hug Scylla's crag. Sail on past her top speed. Better by far to lose six men and keep your ship than lose your entire crew. Yes, yes, but tell me the truth now, goddess, I protested. Deadly Charybdis, can't I possibly cut and run from her, and still fight Scylla off when Scylla strikes my men? So stubborn! the lovely goddess countered. Hell-bent yet again on battle and feats of arms. Can't you bow to the deathless gods themselves? Scylla's no mortal. She's an immortal devastation. Terrible. Savage, wild, no fighting her, no defense. Just flee the creature. That's the only way waste any time arming for battle beside her rock. I fear she'll lunge out again with all of her six heads, and seize as many men. No row for your lives. Invoke brute force. I tell you, Scylla's mother. she spawned her to scourge mankind. She can stop the monster's next attack. Then you will make the island of Thrinacia, where herds of the sun god's cattle graze and fat sheep and seven herds of oxen, as many sheep flocks, rich and woolly, fifty head in each. No breeding swells their number, nor do they ever die. And goddesses herd them on, nymphs with glinting hair, Phaethusa, Lampeti, born to the sun-god Helios by radiant Neera. Their queenly mother bred and reared them both, then settled them on the island of Thrinacia, their homeland seas away, to guard their father's sheep and longhorn cattle. Leave the beasts unharmed. Your mind set on home, and you all may still reach Ithaca, bent with hardship true. But harm them in any way, and I can see it now. Your ship destroyed, your men destroyed as well. And even if you escape, you'll come home late, all shipmates lost, and come a broken man. At those words Dawn rose on her golden throne and lustrous Circe made her way back up the island. I went straight to my ship, commanding all hands to take the decks and cast off cables quickly. They swung aboard at once, they sat to the oars in ranks, and in rhythm churned the water white with stroke on stroke. And Circe, the nymph with glossy braids, the awesome one who speaks with human voice, "'sent us a hardy shipmate, yes, "'a fresh following wind ruffling up in our wake, "'bellying out our sail to drive our blue prow on, "'as we, securing the running gear from stem to stern, "'sat back while the wind and helmsman kept her true on course. "'At last, and sore at heart, I told my shipmates, "'Friends, it's wrong for only one or two "'to know the revelations that lovely Cersei made to me alone. "'I'll tell you all.' so we can die with our eyes wide open now, or escape our fate and certain death together. First, she warns, we must steer clear of the sirens, their enchanting song, their meadow starred with flowers. I alone was to hear their voices, so she said, but you must bind me with tight chafing ropes, so I cannot move a muscle bound to the spot, erect at the mast block, lashed by ropes to the mast, and if I plead commanding you to set me free, then lash me faster, rope on pressing rope. So I informed my shipmates point by point, all the while our trim ship was speeding toward the siren's island driven on by the brisk wind. But then the wind fell, in an instant, all glazed to a dead calm. A mysterious power hushed the heaving swells, The oarsmen leapt to their feet, struck the sails, stowed it deep in the hold, and sat to the oarlocks, thrashing with polished oars, frothing the water white. Now with a sharp sword I sliced an ample wheel of beeswax down into pieces, kneaded them in my two strong hands, and the wax soon grew soft, worked by my strength and Helios's burning rays, the sun, at high noon, and I stopped the ears of my comrades one by one. They bound me hand and foot in the tight ship, erect at the mast block, lashed by ropes to the mast, and rowed and churned the white-caps stroke on stroke. We were just off shore, as far as a man's shout can carry, scudding close, when the sirens sensed at once a ship was racing past, and burst into their high, thrilling song, Come closer, famous Odysseus, Achaea's pride and glory. Moor your ship on our coast so you can hear our song. Never has any sailor passed our shores in his black craft until he has heard the honeyed voices pouring from our lips, and once he hears to his heart's content, sails on, a wiser man. We know all the pains that Achaeans and Trojans once endured, on the spreading plain of Troy when the gods willed it so, all that comes to pass on the fertile earth. We know it all. So they sent their ravishing voices out across the air, and the heart inside me throbbed to listen longer. I signalled the crew with frowns to set me free. They flung themselves at the oars and rowed on harder, Perimedes and Eurylochus springing up at once to bind me faster with rope on chafing rope. But once we'd left the sirens, fading in our wake, once we could hear their song no more, their urgent call. My steadfast crew was quick to remove the wax I'd used to seal their ears and loosed the bombs that lashed me. We'd scarcely put that island astern when suddenly I saw smoke and heavy breakers, heard their booming thunder. The men were terrified, Oar blades flew from their grip, clattering down to splash in the vessel's wash. She lay there, dead in the water no hands to tug the blades that drove her on, but I strode down the decks to rouse my crewmen, halting beside each one with a bracing winning word, Friends, we're hardly strangers at meeting danger, and this danger is no worse than what we faced when Cyclops penned us up in his vaulted cave with crushing force. But even from there my courage, my presence of mind and tactics, saved us all, and we will live to remember this some day, I have no doubt. Up now, follow my orders, all of us work as one. You men at the thwarts, lay on with your oars, and strike the heaving swells, trusting that Zeus will pull us through these straits alive. You helmsmen, here's your order. Burn it in your mind. The steering oar of our rolling ship is in your hands. Keep her clear of that smoke and surging breakers. Head for those crags, or she'll catch you off guard. She'll yaw over there. You'll plunge us all in ruin. So I shouted. They snapped to each command no mention of Scylla, how to fight that nightmare, for fear the men would panic, desert their oars, and huddle down and stow themselves away. But now I cleared my mind of Circe's orders, cramping my style, urging me not to arm at all. I donned my heroic armor, seized long spears in both my hands, and marched out on the half-deck, forward, hoping from there to catch the first glimpse of Scylla, ghoul of the cliffs, swooping to kill my men but nowhere could I make her out, and my eyes ached, scanning that mist-bound rock face top to bottom. Now wailing in fear, we rode on up those straits, Scylla to starboard, dreaded Charybdis off to port, her horrible whirlpool gulping the sea-surge down, down, but when she spewed it up, like a cauldron over a raging fire, all her churning depths would seethe and heave, exploding spray, showering down to splatter the peaks of both crags at once. But when she swallowed the sea-surge down her gaping moor, the whole abyss lay bare, and the rocks around her roared, terrible, deafening, bedrocks showed down deep, boiling black with sand, and ashen terror gripped the men. But now, fearing death, all eyes fixed on Charybdis, Now Scylla snatched six men from our hollow ship, the toughest, strongest hands I had, and glancing backward over the deck, searching for my crew, I could see their hands and feet, already hoisted, flailing high, higher over my head. Look, wailing down at me, comrades riven in agony, shrieking out my name for one last time. Just as an angler poised on a jutting rock flings his treacherous bait in the offshore swell, whips his long rod, hook sheathed in an ox-horn lure, and whisks up little fish he flips on the beach break, writhing, gasping out their lives. So now they writhed. Gasping as Scylla swung them up her cliff, and there, at her cavern's mouth, she bolted them down raw, screaming out, flinging their arms toward me, lost in that mortal struggle." Of all the pitiful things I've had to witness, suffering, searching out the pathways of the sea, this wrenched my heart the most. But now, at last, putting the rocks, scylla, and dreaded Charybdis far astern, we quickly reach the good green island of the sun, where Helios, lord Hyperion, keeps his fine cattle. Broad in the brow and flocks of purebred sheep. Still aboard my black ship in the open sea, I could hear the lowing cattle driven home, the bleating sheep. And I was struck once more by the words of the blind Theban prophet Tiresias, and EE e. and Circe too. Time and again they told me to shun this island of the sun, the joy of man, So I warned my shipmates gravely, sick at heart, Listen to me, my comrades, brothers in hardship. Let me tell you the dire prophecies of Tiresias. And E and Circe too. Time and again they told me to shun this island of the sun, the joy of man. Here they warned the worst disaster awaits us. Row straight past these shores, race our black ship on. So I said, and the warnings broke their hearts. But Eurylochus waded in at once, with mutiny on his mind. You're a hard man, Odysseus! Your fighting spirit's stronger than ours, your stamina never fails, you must be made of iron head to foot. Look, your crew's half dead with labour, starved for sleep. And you forbid us to set foot on land, this island here washed by the waves, where we might catch a decent meal again? Drained as we are, night falling fast, you'd have us desert this haven and blunder off into the mistbound seas? Out of the night come winds that shatter vessels. How can a man escape his headlong death if suddenly, out of nowhere, a cyclone hits? Bred by the south or stormy west wind, there the gales that tear a ship to splinters. The gods are masters, willing or not, it seems. Now let's give way to the dark night. Set out our supper here, sit tight by our swift ship, and then at daybreak board and launch her, make for open sea. So Eurylochus urged, and shipmates cheered. Then I knew some power was brewing trouble for us, so I let fly with an anxious plea, Eurylochus, I'm one against all. The upper hand is yours, but swear me a binding oath, all here, that if we come on a herd of cattle or fine flock of sheep, Not one man among us, blind in his reckless ways, will slaughter an ox or ram. Just eat in peace, content with the food immortal Circe gave us. They quickly swore the oath that I required, and once they had vowed they'd never harm the herds, they moored our sturdy ship in the deep, narrow harbour close to a fresh spring, and all hands disembarked and adeptly set about the evening meal." Once they'd put aside desire for food and drink, they recalled our dear companions, wept for the men that Scylla plucked from the hollow ship and ate alive, and a welcome sleep came on them in their tears. But then, at the night's third watch, the stars just wheeling down, Zeus, who marshals the storm clouds, loosed a ripping wind, a howling demonic gale, shrouding over in thunderheads the earth and sea at once, and night swept down from the sky. When young Dawn with her rose-red fingers shone once more, we hauled our craft ashore, securing her in a vaulted cave where nymphs have lovely dancing rings and hold their sessions. There I called a muster. Warning my shipmates yet again, Friends, we've food and drink plenty aboard the ship. Keep hands off all these herds, or we will pay the price. The cattle, the sleek flocks, belong to an awesome master, Helios, god of the sun, who sees all, hears all things. So I warned, and my headstrong men complied, but for one whole month the south wind blew non No other wind came up, none but the south-southeast. As long as our food and ruddy wine held out, the crew, eager to save their lives, kept hands off the herds. But then, when supplies aboard had all run dry, when the men turned to hunting, forced to range for quarry with twisted hooks for fish, birds, anything they could lay their hands on, hunger racked their bellies. I struck inland, up the island, there to pray to the gods. If only one might show me some way home! crossing into the heartland clear of the crew, I rinsed my hands in a sheltered spot, a windbreak. But as soon as I'd prayed to all the gods who rule Olympus, down on my eyes they poured a sweet, sound sleep. As Eurylochus opened up his fatal plan to friends, Listen to me, my comrades, brothers in hardship. All ways of dying are hateful to us poor mortals, true, but to die of hunger starve to death, that's the worst of all. So up with you now, let's drive off the pick of Helios's sleek herds, slaughter them to the gods who rule the skies up there. If ever we make it home to Ithaca native ground, erect at once a glorious temple to the sun god, line the walls with hordes of dazzling gifts. But if the sun inflamed for his long horned cattle means to wreck our ship and the other gods pitch in, I'd rather die at sea with one deep gulp of death than die by inches on this desolate island here. So he urged and shipmates cheered again. At once they drove off the sun god's finest cattle. Close at hand, not far from the blue-proud ship they grazed, those splendid beasts with their broad brows and curving horns. Surrounding them in a ring, they lifted prayers to the gods, plucking fresh green leaves from a tall oak for the right, since white-strewing barley was long gone in the ship. Once they prayed, slaughtered and skinned the cattle, they cut the thigh-bones out, they wrapped them round in fat, a double-fold, sliced clean and topped with strips of flesh and since they had no wine to anoint the glowing victims, they made libations with water, broiling all the innards, and once they burned the bones and tasted the organs, hacked the rest into pieces, piercing them with spits. That moment Soothing slumber fell from my eyes, and down I went to our ship at the water's edge. But on my way, nearing the long-beaked craft, the smoky savour of roasts came floating up around me. I groaned in anguish, crying out to the deathless gods, Father Zeus, the rest of you blissful gods who never die, you with your fatal sleep, you lulled me into disaster. Left on their own, look what a monstrous thing my crew concocted quick as a flash, with her flaring robes. Lampetti sped the news to the sun on high that we had killed his herds, and Helios burst out in rage to all the immortals. Father Zeus, the rest of you blissful gods who never die, punish them all, that crew of Laertes' son Odysseus. What an outrage! They killed my cattle, the great joy of my heart. Day in, day out, when I climbed the starry skies, and when I wheeled back down from the heights to touch the earth once more, unless they pay me back in blood for the butchery of my herds, down I go to the house of death and blaze among the dead. But Zeus, who marshals the Thunderheads, insisted, "Sun, you keep on shining among the deathless gods and mortal men across the good green earth. And as for the guilty ones, why, soon enough on the wine-dark sea, I'll hit their racing ship with a white-hot bolt. I'll tear it into splinters. Or so I heard from the lovely nymph Calypso, who heard it herself, she said, from Hermes, God of Guides. As soon as I reached our ship at the water's edge, I took the men to task, upbraiding each in turn, but how to set things right, we couldn't find a way. The cattle were dead already, and the gods soon showed us all some fateful signs. The hides began to crawl, the meat, both raw and roasted, bellowed out on the spits, and we heard a noise like the moan of lowing oxen. Yet six more days, my eager companions feasted on the cattle of the sun. The pick of the herds they'd driven off, but then, when Cronian and Zeus brought on the seventh day, the wind, in its ceaseless raging, dropped at last, and stepping the mast at once, hoisting the white sail, we boarded ship and launched her, made for open sea. But once we'd left that island in our wake, no land at all in sight, nothing but sea and sky, then Zeus, the son of Cronus, mounted a thunderhead above our hollow ship, and the deep went black beneath it. Nor did the craft scud on much longer. All of a sudden, killer squalls attacked us, screaming out of the west. A murderous blast shearing the two-four off, so the mast toppled backwards, its running tackle spilling into the bilge. The mast itself went crashing into the stern. It struck the helmsman's head and crushed his skull to pulp, and down from his deck the man flipped like a diver. His hardy life spirit left his bones behind. Then, then, in the same breath, Zeus hit the craft with a lightning bolt and thunder. Round she spun, reeling under the impact, filling with reeking brimstone, shipmates pitching out of her, bobbing round like seahawks, swept along by the whitecaps, past the trim black hull, and the god cut short their journey home forever. But I went lurching along our battered hulk, till the sea-surge ripped the plankings from the keel, and the waves swirled it away, stripped bare, and snapped the mast from the decks. But a backstay made of bull's hide still held fast, and with this I lashed the mast and keel together, made them one, riding my makeshift raft, as the wretched gale winds bore me on and on. At last the west wind quit its wild rage, but the south came on at once to hound me even more, making me double back my route toward cruel Charybdis. All night long I was rushed back, and then at break of day I reached the crag of Scylla and dire Charybdis’s vortex right when the dreadful whirlpool gulped the salt sea down but heaving myself aloft to clutch at the fig tree's height like a bat, I clung to its trunk for dear life. Not a chance for a good firm foothold there, no clambering up it either, the roots too far to reach, the boughs too high overhead, huge swaying branches that overshadowed Charybdis. But I held on, dead set, waiting for her to vomit my mast and keel back up again. Oh, how I ached for both, and back they came. Late, but at last, at just the hour, a judge at court, who settled the countless suits of brash young claimants, rises, the day's work done, and turns home for supper, that's when the timbers reared back up from Charybdis. I let go. I plunged with my hands and feet flailing, crashing into the waves beside those great beams and scrambling aboard them fast, I rode hard with my hands right through the straits, and the father of men and gods did not let Scylla see me, else I'd have died on the spot, no escape from death. I drifted along nine days. On the tenth at night, the gods cast me up on Ogygia, Calypso's island, home of the dangerous nymph with glossy braids who speaks with human voice, and she took me in. She loved me. Why cover the same ground again? Just yesterday, here at Hall, I told you, all the rest. You and your gracious wife. It goes against my grain to repeat a tale told once and told so clearly. Book Thirteen Ithaca at Last His tale was over now. The Phaeacians all fell silent, hush his story holding them spellbound down the shadowed halls, until Alcinous found the poise to say, Odysseus, now that you have come to my bronze-floored house, my vaulted roofs, I know you won't be driven off your course. Nothing can hold you back. However much you've suffered, you'll sail home. Here, friends, here's a command for one and all you who frequent my palace day and night and drink the shining wine of kings and enjoy the harper's songs. The robes and hammered gold and hall of other gifts, you lords of our island council brought our guest, all lie packed in his polished sea-chest now. Come, each of us add a sumptuous tripod, add a cauldron, then recover our costs with levies on the people. It's hard to afford such bounty man by man.' the king's instructions met with warm applause and home they went to sleep each in his own house when young dawn with her rose-red fingers shone once more they hurried down to the ship with handsome bronze gifts and striding along the decks the ardent king alcinous stowed them under the benches ship-shape so nothing could foul the crewmen tugging at their oars then back the party went to alcinous's house and shared a royal feast the majestic king slaughtered an ox for them, to Cronus's mighty son, Zeus of the Thundercloud, whose power rules the world. They burned the thighs and fell to the lordly banquet, reveling there, while in their midst the inspired bard struck up a song, Demodocus prized by all the people. True, but time and again Odysseus turned his face toward the radiant sun, anxious for it to set, yearning now to be gone and home once more as a man aches for his evening meal, when all day long his brace of wine-dark oxen have dragged the bolted ploughshare down a fallow field. How welcome the setting sun to him, the going home to supper, yes, though his knees buckle, struggling home at last. So welcome now to Odysseus, the setting light of day. And he lost no time as he pressed Phaeacia's men who loved their oars, addressing his host, Alcinous first and foremost, Alcinous Majesty, shining among your island people, make your libations, launch me safely on my way to one and all farewell. All is now made good, my heart's desire, your convoy home, your precious loving gifts, and may the gods of Olympus bless them for me. May I find an unswerving wife when I reach home. And loved ones, hail, unharmed. And you, my friends, remaining here in your kingdom now, may you delight in your loyal wives and children. May the gods rain down all kinds of fortune on your lives. Misfortune never harbour in your homeland. All burst into applause, urging passage home for their parting guest. His farewell rang so true. Hallowed King Alcinous briskly called his herald, Come, Pontonous, mix the wine in the bowl. Pour rounds to all our banqueters in the house, so we, with a prayer to mighty Zeus the Father, can sail our new friend home to native land. Pontonous mixed the heady, honeyed wine, and hovering closely poured full rounds for all, and from where they sat they tipped libations out to the happy gods who rule the vaulting skies. Then King Odysseus rose up from his seat, and placing his two-eared cup in Aretes' hands, addressed the queen with parting wishes on the wing. Your health, my queen, through all your days to come, until old age and death, that visit all mankind, pay you a visit too. Now I am on my way, but you, may you take joy in this house of yours, in your children, your people, in Alcinous. The King With that the great Odysseus strode across the threshold, and King Alcinous sent the herald off with the guest, to lead him down to the swift ship and foaming surf, and Arete sent her serving women, one to carry a sea cloak, washed and fresh, a shirt as well, another sign to bear the sturdy chest, and a third to take the bread and ruddy wine. When they reached the ship at the water's edge, the royal escorts took charge of the gifts at once, and stores of food and wine stowed them deep in the holds, and then for their guest they spread out rug and sheets on the half-deck, clear astern on the ship's hull, so he might sleep there soundly, undisturbed. And last Odysseus climbed aboard himself, and down he lay, all quiet, as crewmen sat the oarlocks each in line. They slipped the cable free of the drilled stone post, and soon as they swung back and the blades tossed up the spray, an irresistible sleep fell deeply on his eyes, the sweetest, soundest oblivion, still as the sleep of death itself and the ship, like a four-horse team, careering down the plain, all breaking as one with a whiplash cracking smartly, leaping with hoofs high to run the course in no time, so the stern hove high and plunged, with the seething rollers crashing dark in her wake, as on she surged, unwavering, never flagging, no, not even a darting hawk, the quickest thing on wings could keep her pace, as on she ran, cutting the swells at top speed, bearing a man equipped with the gods' own wisdom one who had suffered twenty years of torment, sick at heart, cleaving his way through wars of men and pounding waves at sea. But now he slept in peace, the memory of his struggles laid to rest. And then, that hour the star rose up, the clearest, brightest star that always heralds the newborn light of day, the deep-sea-going ship made landfall on the island. It's the cur at last. There on the coast a haven lies, named for Fourseas, the old god of the deep, with two jutting headlands, sheared off at the seaward side but shelving toward the bay, that break the great waves whipped by the gales outside so within the harbour ships can ride unmoored whenever they come in mooring range of shore. At the harbour's head a branching olive stands with a welcome cave nearby it, Dank with sea mist, sacred to nymphs of the springs we call the naiads. There are mixing bowls inside, and double-handled jars, crafted of stone, and bees store up their honey in the hollows. There are long stone looms as well, where the nymphs weave out their webs from clouds of sea-blue wool a marvellous sight, and a wellspring flows forever. The cave has two ways in, one facing the north wind, a pathway down for mortals, the other facing the south, belongs to the gods. No man may go that way. It is the path for all the deathless powers. Here at this bay the Phaeacian crew put in, they'd known it long before. Driving the ship so hard she ran up onto the beach for a good half her length, such way the oarsman's brawny arms had made. Up from the benches, swinging down to land, first they lifted Odysseus off the decks, linen and lustrous carpet too, and laid him down on the sand asleep, still dead to the world. Then hoisted out the treasures proud Phaeacian's urged by open-hearted palace had lavished on him, setting out for home. They heaped them all by the olive's trunk in a neat pile, clear of the road, for fearsome passerby might spot and steal Odysseus's hoard before he could waken, then pushing off They pulled for home themselves. But now Poseidon, god of the earthquake, never once forgetting the first threats he leveled at the hero, probed almighty Zeus to learn his plans in full. Zeus, father, I will lose all my honor now among the immortals, now there are mortal men who show me no respect. Phaeacians, too, born of my own loins. I said myself that Odysseus would suffer long and hard before he made it home, but I never dreamed of blocking his return, not absolutely, at least, once you had pledged your word and bowed your head. But now they've swept him across the sea in their swift ship, they've set him down in Ithaca sound asleep, and loaded the man with boundless gifts, bronze, and hordes of gold and robes. Ay, more plunder than he could ever have won from Troy if Odysseus had returned intact with his fair share. Incredible, Zeus, who marshals the Thunderheads, replied. Earthshaker, you with your massive power, why moaning so? The gods don't disrespect you. What a stir they'd be if they flung abuse of the oldest, noblest of them all. Those mortals, if any man so lost in his strength and prowess pays you no respect, just pay him back. The power is always yours. Do what you like. Whatever warms your heart, King of the Dark Cloud, the Earthquake God agreed. I'd like to avenge myself at once, as you advise. But I've always feared your wrath and shied away. But now I'll crush that fine, Phaeacian cutter on the misty sea. Now on our homeward run from the latest convoy, they will learn at last to cease and desist from escorting every man alive. I'll pile a huge mountain round about their port. Wait, dear brother. Zeus, who collects the clouds, had second thoughts. Here's what seems best to me. As the people all lean down from the city heights to watch her speeding home, strike her into a rock that looks like a racing vessel just offshore. Amaze all men with a marvel for the ages. Then pile your huge mountain round about their port. Hearing that from Zeus, the god of the earthquake sped to Skeria the Phaeacian's island home, and waited there, till the ship came sweeping in, scudding lightly along, and surging close abreast, the Earthquake God, with one flat stroke of his hand, struck her to stone, rooted her to the ocean floor, and made for open sea. The Phaeacians aghast, those lords of the long oars, the master mariners, traded startled glances, sudden outcries, Look, who's pinned our swift ship to the sea? Just racing for home, just hove into plain view. They might well wonder, blind to what had happened, till Alcinous rose and made things all too clear. Oh, no, my father's prophecy years ago. It all comes home to me with a vengeance now. He'd say Poseidon was vexed with us because we escorted all mankind and never came to grief. He said that one day, as a well-built ship of ours sailed home on the misty sea from such a convoy, the gods would crush it, yes, and pile a huge mountain round about our port. So the old king foretold. Now look, it all comes true. Hurry, friends, do as I say, let us all comply. Stop our convoys home for every castaway chancing on our city. As for Poseidon, sacrifice twelve bulls to the god at once, the pick of the herds, perhaps heal pitiers, pile no looming mountain ridge around our port. The people, terrified, prepared the bulls at once. So all of Phaeacia's island lords and captains milling round the altar lifted prayers to Poseidon, master of the sea. That very moment Great Odysseus woke from sleep on native ground at last. He'd been away for years, but failed to know the land. For the goddess Pallas Athena, Zeus's daughter, showered mist over all, so under cover she might change his appearance head to foot, as she told him every peril he'd meet at home, keep him from being known by wife, townsmen, friends, till the suitors paid the price for all their outrage and so to the king himself all Ithaca looked strange. The winding beaten paths, the coves where ships can ride, the steep rock face of the cliffs and the tall leafy trees. He sprang to his feet, and scanning his own native country, groaned, slapped his thighs with his flat palms, and Odysseus cried in anguish, Man of misery, whose land have I lit on now? What are they here, violent, savage, lawless, or friendly to strangers, God-fearing men? Where can I take this heap of treasure now, and where in the world do I wander off myself? If only the trove had stayed among the Phaeacians there, and I had made my way to some other mighty king who would have hosted me well and sent me home. But now I don't know where to stow all this, and I can't leave it here inviting any bandit to rob me blind. So damn those lords and captains, those Phaeacians, not entirely honest or upright, were they? Sweeping me off to this, this no-man's land, and they, they swore they'd sail me home to sunny Ithaca. Well, they never kept their word. Zeus of the suppliants pay them back. He keeps an eye on the world of men and punishes all transgressors. Come, quickly, I'll inspect my treasure and count it up myself. Did they make off with anything in their ship? With that, he counted up the gorgeous tripods, cauldrons, bars of gold, and the lovely woven robes. Not a stitch was missing from the lot. But still he wept for his native country, trailing down the shore where the wash of sea on shingle ebbs and flows, his homesick heart in turmoil. But now Athena appeared and came toward him, She looked like a young man, a shepherd boy, yet elegant too, with all the gifts that grace the sons of kings, with a well-cut cloak falling in folds across her shoulders, sandals under her shining feet, a hunting spear in hand. Odysseus, overjoyed at the sight, went up to meet her, joining her now with salutations on the wing. "'Greetings, friend! Since you are the first I've come on in this harbour, treat me kindly. No cruelty, please!' Save these treasures. Save me, too. I pray to you, like a god, I fall before your knees and ask your mercy. And tell me this for a fact I need to know. Where on earth am I? What land? Who lives here? Is it one of the sunny islands, or some jutting shore of the good green mainland slanting down to sea? Athena answered, her eyes brightening now. You must be a fool, stranger, or come from nowhere, if you really have to ask what land this is. Trust me, it's not so nameless, after all. It's known the world around, to all who live to the east and rising sun, and to all who face the western, mists and darkness. It's a rugged land, too cramped for driving horses, but though it's far from broad, it's hardly poor. There's plenty of grain for bread, grapes for wine, the rains never fail, and the dew falls healthy. Good country for goats, good for cattle, too. There's stand-on-stand of timber, and water runs in stream-beds through the year. So, stranger, the name of Ithaca's reached as far as Troy, and Troy, they say, is a long, hard sail from Greece. Ithaca. Heart racing, Odysseus, that great exile, filled with joy to hear Athena, daughter of storming Zeus, pronounce that name. He stood on native ground at last. And he replied with a winging word to Pallas, not with a word of truth. He choked it back, always invoking the cunning in his heart. Ithaca. Yes, I seem to have heard of Ithaca. Even on Crete's broad island far across the sea, and now I've reached it myself with all this loot. But I left behind an equal measure for my children. I'm a fugitive now, you see. I killed Idomeneus's son, Ossilicus lightning on his legs, a man who beat all runners alive on that long island. What a racer! He tried to rob me of all the spoil I'd won at Troy, the plunder I went to Helen back to capture, true, cleaving my way through wars of men and waves at sea, and just because I refused to please his father, serve under him at Troy. I led my own command— So now with a friend I lay in wait by the road, I killed him just loping in from the fields with one quick stroke of my bronze spear in the dead of night, the heavens pitch black, no one could see us, spot me tearing out his life with a weapon honed for action. Once I'd cut him down, I made for a ship, and begged the Phoenician crew for mercy, paying those decent hands a hearty share of plunder, asked them to take me on and land me down in Pylos. There are all lovely Elis, where Epeans rule in power. But a heavy gale wind blew them way off course, much against their will. They'd no desire to cheat me. Driven afar, we reached this island here at the midnight hour. Rowing for dear life, we made it into your harbor. Not a thought of supper, much as we all craved food. We dropped from the decks and lay down just like that. A welcome sleep came over my weary bones at once, while the crew hoisted up my loot from the holes and set it down on the sand, near where I slept. They re-embarked, now homeward bound, for Sidon, their own noble city, leaving me here behind, homesick in my heart. As his story ended, goddess Athena, grey eyes gleaming, broke into a smile— and stroked him with her hand, and now she appeared a woman, beautiful, tall, and skilled at weaving lovely things. Her words went flying straight toward Odysseus. Any man, any god who met you, would have to be some champion lying cheat to get past you for all round craft and guile, you terrible man, foxy, ingenious, never tired of twists and tricks. So not even here, On native soil would you give up those wily tales that warm the cockles of your heart. Come enough of this now. We're both old hands at the arts of intrigue. Here among mortal men you're far the best at tactics, spinning yarns, and I am famous among the gods for wisdom, cunning wiles too. Ah, but you never recognized me, did you? Pallas Athena, daughter of Zeus? who always stands beside you, shields you in every exploit. Thanks to me, the Phaeacians all embraced you warmly, and now I'm here once more to weave a scheme with you and to hide the treasure trove Phaeacia's nobles lavished on you then. I willed it, planned it so, when you set out for home, and to tell you all the trials you must suffer in your palace, endure them all. You must, you have no choice, and to no one No man, no woman, not a soul, reveal that you are the wanderer. Home, at last. No, in silence, you must bear a world of pain. Subject yourself to the cruel abuse of men. Ah, goddess, the cool tactician countered. You're so hard for a mortal man to know on sight. However shrewd he is, the shapes you take are endless. But I do know this. You were kind to me in the war years so long as we men of Achaea soldiered on at Troy. But once we'd sacked King Priam's craggy city, boarded ship, and a god dispersed the fleet, from then on, daughter of Zeus, I never saw you. Never glimpsed you striding along my decks to ward off some disaster. No, I wandered on, my heart forever torn to pieces inside my chest, till the gods released me from my miseries at last. That day in the fertile kingdom of Phaeacia, when you cheered me with words in person, led me to their city. But now I beg you, by your almighty father's name, for I can't believe I've reached my sunny Ithaca. I must be roaming around one more exotic land. You're mocking me, I know it, telling me tales to make me lose my way. Tell me the truth now. Have I really reached the land I love?" Always the same, your wary turn of mind, Athena exclaimed, her glances flashing warmly. That's why I can't forsake you in your troubles. You are so winning, so worldly-wise, so self-possessed. Anyone else, come back from wandering long and hard, would have hurried home at once, delighted to see his children and his wife. Oh, but not you. It's not your pleasure to probe for news of them. You must put your wife to the proof yourself. But she... She waits in your halls, as always, her life an endless hardship, wasting away the nights, weeping away the days. I never had doubts myself, no, I knew down deep that you would return at last, with all your shipmates lost. But I could not bring myself to fight my father's brother, Poseidon, quaking with anger at you, still enraged because you blinded the Cyclops, his dear son. But come. Let me show you Ithaca's setting. I'll convince you. This haven, look around. It's named for Phorses, the old god of the deep. And here at the harbour's head, the branching olive stands, with the welcome cave nearby it, dank with sea mist, sacred to nymphs of the spring we call the naiads. Here under its arching vault, time and again, you'd offer the nymphs a generous sacrifice to bring success. And the slopes above you, look! Mount Neriton, decked in forests. At those words, the goddess scattered the mist, and the country stood out clear. And the great man who had borne so much rejoiced at last, thrilled to see his Ithaca, kissed the good green earth, and raised his hands to the nymphs and prayed at once Nymphs of the springs, naiads, daughters of Zeus, I never dreamed I would see you yet again. Now rejoice in my loving prayers, and later, just like the old days, I will give you gifts. If Athena, Zeus's daughter, queen of armies, comes to my rescue, grants this fight a life, and brings my son to manhood. Courage, goddess Athena answered, eyes of fire. Free your mind of all that anguish now. Come, quick, let's bury your treasures, here in some recess of this haunted, hollowed cave, where they'll be safe and sound. Then we'll make plans so we can win the day. With that, the goddess swept into the cavern's shadowed vault, searching for hiding places far inside its depths, while Odysseus hauled his treasures closer up, the gold, durable bronze, and fine-spun robes, the Phaeacians parting gifts. Once he'd stowed them well away, the goddess Pallas Athena, daughter of storming Zeus, sealed the mouth of the cavern with a stone. Then down they sat, By the sacred olive's trunk to plot the death of the high and mighty suitors the bright-eyed goddess athena led the way royal son of laertes odysseus old campaigner think how to lay your hands on all those brazen suitors lording it over your house now three whole years courting your noble wife offering gifts to win her but she forever broken-hearted for your return builds up each man's hopes dangling promises, dropping hints to each, but all the while with something else in mind. God help me, the man of intrigue broke out. Clearly I might have died the same ignoble death as Agamemnon. Bled white in my own house too, if you had never revealed this to me now, goddess, blow by blow. Come, weave us a scheme so I can pay them back.' You stand beside me, fire me with daring, fierce as the day we ripped Troy's glittering crown of towers down. Stand by me, furious now as then my bright-eyed one, and I would fight three hundred men, great goddess, with you to brace me, comrade-in-arms in battle. Gray eyes ablaze, the goddess urged him on. Surely I'll stand beside you, not forget you, not when the day arrives for us to do our work. Those men who court your wife and waste your goods, I have a feeling some will splatter your ample floors with all their blood and brains. Up now, quickly. First, I will transform you. No one must know you. I will shrivel the supple skin on your lithe limbs, strip the russet curls from your head, and deck you out in rags you'd hate to see some other mortal wear. I'll dim the fire in your eyes, so shining once until you seem appalling to all those suitors, even your wife and son you left behind at home. But you, you make your way to the swineherd first, in charge of your pigs, and true to you as always, loyal friend to your son, to Penelope so self-possessed. You'll find him posted beside his swine, grubbing round by Raven's Rock and the spring called Arethusa, rooting for feed that makes pigs sleek and fat, the nuts they love, the dark pools they drink, Wait there, sit with him, ask him all he knows. I'm off to Sparta, where the women are a wonder, to call Telemachus home, your own dear son, Odysseus. He's journeyed to Lacedaemon's rolling hills to see Menelaus, questing for news of you, hoping to learn if you are still alive. Shud Odysseus answered her at once, Why not tell him the truth? You know it all. Or is he, too, like father, like son, condemned to hardship, roving over the barren salt sea while strangers devour our livelihood right here? But the bright-eyed goddess reassured him firmly, No need for anguish, trust me, not for him. I escorted your son myself, so he might make his name by sailing there. Nor is he saddled down with any troubles now. He sits at ease in the halls of Menelaus, bathed in endless bounty. True enough, some young lords in a black cutter lurk in ambush, poised to kill the prince before he reaches home, but I have my doubts they will. Sooner the earth will swallow down a few of those young gallants who eat you out of house and home these days. No more words, not now. Athena stroked Odysseus with her wand. She shriveled the supple skin on his lithe limbs, stripped the russet curls from his head, covered his body top to toe with the wrinkled hide of an old man, and dimmed the fire in his eyes so shining once. She turned his shirt and cloak into squalid rags, ripped and filthy, smeared with grime and soot. She flung over this the long pelt of a bounding deer, rubbed bare, and gave him a staff and beggar's sack, torn and tattered, slung from a fraying rope. All plans made, they went their separate ways, Athena setting off to bring Telemachus home from hallowed Lacedaemon. Book 14 The Loyal Swineherd So up from the haven now Odysseus climbed a rugged path, through timber along high ground, Athena had shown the way, to reach the swineherd's place, that fine, loyal man, who of all the household hands Odysseus ever had, cared the most for his master's worldly goods. Sitting at the door of his lodge he found him. There in his farmstead, high walled, broad and large, with its long view on its cleared rise of ground. The swineherd made those walls with his own hands to enclose the pigs of his master, gone for years. Alone, apart from his queen or old laertes, he'd built them up of quarried blocks of stone and coped them well with a fence of wild pear. Outside he'd driven stakes in a long line stockade, a ring of thick set palings split from an oak's dark heart. Within the yard he'd built twelve styes, side by side, to bed his pigs, and in each one fifty brood-sows slept aground, penned and kept for breeding. The boars slept outside, but far fewer of them, thanks to the lordly suitors' feasts that kept on thinning the herd and kept the swineherd stepping, sending to town each day the best fat hog in sight. But now they were down to three hundred and sixty heads, but guarding them all the time were dogs, like savage beasts, a pack of four, reared by the swineherd, four man of men. The man himself was fitting sandals to his feet, carving away at an ox-hide, dark and supple. As for his men, three were off with their pigs, herding them here or there. Under orders, he'd sent a fourth to town with hog in tow for the gorging suitors to slaughter off and glut themselves with pork. Suddenly, those snarling dogs spotted Odysseus, charged him fast, a shatter of barks, but Odysseus sank to the ground at once, he knew the trick.